Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. Good morning, everyone. What a nice morning we've had together. My name's Dave, if you're not familiar with me yet. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm excited to actually get to preach a Christmas sermon. Um, I haven't gotten to do that here yet. And so let's just take a moment and um, continue in worship and turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Lord, um, we thank you for already being here this morning. Um, No matter what we've been going through in our thoughts and our minds, we know you're present with us, that your favor is on us, and that you've prepared um, this time for us to enter in more deeply into who you are and and to invite us into what you have for us this season. Um, We just open our hearts to the joys that we've already been experiencing, whether it be in worship, um, in the people around us, in what's going on this holiday season. And we also want to open up to you the sorrows that have gone on, the things we're carrying in the background, the things we're um, maybe not even prepared to bring to you yet. And we ask for your tender care, your light to shine, and your presence to lead us more deeply into who we are and who you call us to be in Jesus today. Thank you for being our Father, and thank you for sending Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. About a week ago, December 4th actually, uh, it was the anniversary of Carrie's and my engagement. Pretty fun. So nine years ago we were engaged, and uh, it was actually a long journey to get there. We were friends, we met at Mount Hermon, and then um, we dated for about a little over a year, and then we broke up for about a year, and then we dated again, and... um, even during that time, we found a home video of us at Mount Hermon. Before we knew each other, we were five years old, and we're on the stage as little kids singing about three or four feet away from each other. So there was a lot of momentum leading towards this. Um, so the day I decided to propose, well, I hadn't decided then, but two weeks previous, I had told her that I loved her, and she said it back. And so that was a big deal because we knew that was leading towards this moment. Um, So I gathered all the items, all the words I wanted to say, um, all the plans, all the details, and I got my brother and one of my friends, Brendan, um, to caution tape off the entrance to the Biola Prayer Chapel, which is never closed, so that was a first. And uh, I got Carrie inside, and she's like, this place is never closed, let's go on this floor. (laughs) And I said uh, to Carrie, the one line that I had memorized was, Carrie, I want you to be my wife. I think God is calling me to be your husband. Will you marry me? And she said, yes. And then she later said, wait, why didn't you get down on one knee? You should do that. (laughs) Which is true. And so I did it twice. Um, So what a joy, though. That was like the best joy ever, that Carrie would say yes to me, that we're getting married. Um, It had been a long journey, and it was like a, a finally, we walked around the park nearby afterwards and just talked about all the things we were dreaming of. And um, went to bed that night and woke up the next day, and I was like, uh, my, my emotional heartbeat was like gone. Yeah, I was just like, uh, 
I, was, I woke up numb, really, is what the feeling was. I was like overwhelmed, really exhausted, and fear started to creep in. And I was like, what, what did I do? Like, I don't even understand. I mean, I asked her to marry me. What's this going to be like? You know, and, and, and I, I just started going on the cycle. So later I told Carrie about this, and she's like, this is our engagement. Like, we can't be like this. And so you should call your dad. And so I called my dad, and I was like, Dad, I don't know what's going on. You know, I, I don't know what to feel. And he's like, Dave, you do this every time you make a big decision. You know, you, you ramp up to it, and then you drop off the edge. And he's, he's like, you've gone through a lot. And so what was really helpful for me was that, uh, was my dad, that conversation with my dad. And, um, and I realized in that moment that we have, like, my biggest joy was having Carrie say yes. But it also included, like, sorrow and fear at the same time um, that next day. And, and it wasn't, like, the last time that that would happen, even in our engagement. We cried a bunch during our engagement, which I don't know if that's normal for everyone, but we did. Because we were saying goodbye to our childhood and also, like, embracing what it means to, like, be a couple and be adults and... So today we're talking about that adventure. If you notice, the title of the sermon is The Adventure of Joy. Advent, you see the play on words there? Yes. Um, and on this adventure, sorrow and joy often exist in tension with each other. We have sorrows and joys offset each other. I've even talked with people sometimes and they're like, oh, a joy happened, a sorrow must be around the corner. You know, it's like almost uh, predictable. And in the Bible, there's a psalm that I liked, uh, Psalm 126.6, and it says, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So it's kind of a farming metaphor for the seeds of our tears watering the ground and that bringing the, the fruit of wheat and, and joy later. Um, and the Bible's full of these metaphors all over the place. If you find joy, sorrow's tied into it. Like, if you think of Jesus... Yeah, Psalms all over the place, right? And Jesus, uh, the, the author of Hebrews says that uh, for the joy set before him, he endured the, the cross, right? So joy and sorrow together. Um, and so I kind of noticed three types of joy in the Bible. The first one is spontaneous joy. So this is like, ah, you know, like Christmas morning for a kid. It's like childlike bliss, utter contentment wonder, naive hope. It's, it's great. You know, that's a great feeling. Um, and then another one I noticed was purposeful joy. So this is like joy experienced in the middle of pain, joy experienced in the middle of trials and suffering. Um, and that joy comes as we receive strength from God. So in the middle of that pain and sorrow, we're receiving strength from God, we're turning to him, and there's a purposefulness to the joy that we're experiencing. And it's in the middle of that sorrow cloud. Um, and then the third one I noticed is full joy, and it's distinct from spontaneous joy, um, even though they can kind of be expressed similarly. Uh, I see this a lot with Jesus. Jesus seems to bring full joy often wherever he goes. And um, I describe this as the joy of a world or an issue made right. So it's an it's a issue that's suddenly healed, restored inside of God's kingdom. So Jesus says, uh, even uses this word, he says in John 16, 24, ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. So he's speaking to people who are in the middle of sorrows. He even said that the night before he goes to the cross or is betrayed to go to the cross. And he says, he's saying, ask you receive so your joy may be, may, be, may be made full. A full joy. Can you imagine what that would look like to live in full joy? So there's this tension, and, and really for us, spontaneous joy isn't something we can really control. It's something that comes at the nice times, and that's great. 
But there's a tension in our Christian life between purposeful joy, where we enter into it intentionally, and a full joy. So purposeful joy amidst the sorrow, and full joy when sorrow is gone. And we're relieved from that, and we've received whatever gift or provision or protection we need. Um, And the surprising key factor between these two, the joy is in both of them, but sorrow is also a key factor between purposeful joy and full joy. So how we deal with our sorrow directly affects our joy. So consider how, as, how you deal with sorrow and how that might be affecting your joy. So if like spontaneous joy is our goal, which I think for a long time I thought in the Bible, you know, rejoice always, so I'd like, it's like uh, be spontaneously joyful. Um, then, but we look around us and spontaneous joy is kind of in short supply. Like once you get past the age of four or five, it's not as easy to enter into spontaneous joy. <laughs> but if purposeful joy is our goal, like if, we, if, if purposeful joy is the goal of what Scripture is calling us to, then joy can be mined out of almost every situation. That means there's like a lot of potential joy around, even in like the worst of the worst things. So, um, oh, and the one, one other thing I want to say about purposeful joy, purposeful joy actually prepares us It actually um, tills the soil of our hearts to receive full joy. So it's often the process of receiving full joy, which is a little bit of what Danny talked about last week on the two paths um, to hope, the long path with all those, if you recall that. Um, So I would like to show you guys a quick clip of a movie that kind of brings this to life. Raise your hand if you've seen Inside Out. Okay, a few of you, the younger generation looks like. Um, Okay, I'll give you a quick rundown. Inside Out is about the main character. She's a young girl. Her name is Riley. Riley just moved with her parents from Minnesota, where she loved skating and sledding and all the snow things, and and moved to the Bay Area, which has no snow, and she misses her home. But the real main characters of Inside Out are the emotions inside her head. So those are all animated in front of this control panel, and they are navigating Riley's inner world. So there's a bunch of different characters, but the two main ones are joy and sorrow. Or joy and sadness, sorry. Joy and sadness. Um, And joy's main goal in the movie is to keep sadness from the memories. And these are like actual items in her brain. Uh, And these memories, especially the best ones from Minnesota, all her treasured ones, she wants to keep sadness from those because keep sadness from those because sadness will spoil them. They'll be poisoned. And those are Joy's treasure for Riley. It's kind of helping her survive. Um, And we need to know that in this video, the memories actually appear like colored orbs. And each orb corresponds with one of the emotions' uh, colors. So Joy is gold, sadness is blue. Um, And and we're going to watch two clips. We're going to watch the beginning when Joy and sadness are introduced. And we'll watch the second clip right after, which shows... Um, when Riley is running away from her parents to go back to Minnesota because her emotional life inside is shutting down. And these characters inside her brain are in a panic. Well, actually, they've gone past panic. They are in despair. They have given up knowing how to help Riley get through this, and they're watching the chaos from the helm inside Riley's brain. So let's watch this clip from Inside Out, and we'll keep talking. 
First day of school, very, very exciting. I was up late last night figuring out a new plan. Here it is, fear. I need a list of all the possible negative outcomes on the first day at a new school. Way ahead of you there. Does anyone know how to spell meteor? Disgust. Make sure Riley stands out today, but also blends in. When I'm through, Riley will look so good, the other kids will look at their own outfits and barf. Joy. Yes, Joy? You'll be in charge of the console, keeping Riley happy all day long. And may I add, I love your dress, it's adorable. Oh, this whole thing? Thank you so much. I love the way it twirls. Schedule. Anger, unload the daydreams. I ordered extra in case things get slow in class. Might come in handy if this new school is full of boring, useless classes, which it probably will be. Oh, sadness. I have a super important job just for you. Really? Mm-hmm. Follow me. What are you doing? And there. Perfect. This is the circle of sadness. Your job is to make sure that all the sadness stays inside of it. All day. What? what was she wearing last? Do you even remember what? Riley. Oh, oh, we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late. Minnesota too. 
I miss the woods and we took hikes. And the backyard where you used to play. Spring Lake, where you learned to skate. Come here. completely ruined the movie for you guys. But if you can see there, there's purposeful joy going on, where Riley has a sudden moment of sadness, runs home to her parents, and says what she thinks she can never say is, I can't make you happy anymore, or, you know, I can't be happy. And then suddenly they hug, and there's purposeful joy in the hug, and suddenly, um, I love that they show sadness to the character and joy the character putting both their hands together on the helm. And that is really the act of purposeful joy. I think it shows it beautifully. It makes me cry. I'm sure it makes some of you cry. Um, and this is really, really present, I think, during our Christmas season. Um, joy and sorrow actually arrive together. And, and if, if we do it well inside of our hearts, joy and sorrow can actually like, work together really well. I think it's actually a great picture of joy to have joy and sorrow together. Um, and it actually, we watched with Riley, it actually healed her heart. Um, and there's one character, I think, in the Bible who, in, in this Christmas story, who brings this to life. He's maybe a little more unfamiliar. His name's Zechariah. And I thought we'd take a little bit of time to look at him this morning. Zechariah was a man like many, well, not a man like many of us, but he was a, a follower of God like many of us who's walked with God for years, for years. But when the gift of God for him arrives to bring him joy, full joy, it actually exposes in him undealt with sorrow. It exposes in him undealt with sorrow, which, which shows itself in unbelief. So Zechariah's background, he grew, up, or he grew up in a priestly family, so he had always known he would be a priest. He married Elizabeth, who was from Aaron, who is the great original priest of um, you know, way back in the Old Testament, and she married Aaron's uh, generational line, which was like basically marrying up in the priestly ranking. So he was real high ranking. Um, people would be like, wow, that's really righteous of you to have that sort of lineage. He was considered righteous before God. <clears throat> he was also considered blameless before men. He had a strong relationship with God. 
But there's another aspect of Zechariah and Elizabeth in that they're barren. And in that Hebrew culture, barren was considered cursed by God. So, and it was even um, considered grounds for divorce. So it was actually more righteous that Zechariah was still with Elizabeth and, um, and with the shame that they were carrying together. And in Hebrew culture, if you're considered barren, that means you're 60 or above. So that's, we can assume they're at least 60 or older. Um, and what attracted me to this story is, is you, many of you know, Carrie and I have been wanting a family for years, and so I really relate with Zechariah. Um, it's been five years that we've wanted a family, and for me, not compared to them, but for me it's felt long, and I've despaired at times. And so I can understand, uh, like we see in Zechariah, we will see how disappointment can give way to despair and unbelief and can actually steal joy. So I'm going to read Luke uh, 1, 8 through 13, and you guys will just be introduced to what's going on in Zechariah's life. So now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, I'm going to pause there because I want us to actually uh, jump into what this would have been like for Zechariah. So would you imagine with me, imagine with me, and, and track with me if you can, use your, uh, the images in your brain, and uh, we're going to try and picture what this meant for a Hebrew to be in Zechariah's shoes. Um, so the temple that Zechariah is working in, there was like the outer area. Then there was this place called the holy place, which was where these special furniture items were that they served God day in and day out with. And then there was the holy of holies, which was behind a veil where no one went but the high priest one time per year. And so when Zechariah would come to the, the temple, he only served two weeks every year. So that's not that often. Otherwise, he was serving in his, uh, in his town back at home. And the priest, the, the priest would cast four lots, and each lot was for a different role. One of them was for the altar of incense, and the altar of incense was like the treasured role. That was the honored role. Like if, you, if your uh, die was cast or whatever, and it came up as you, that was, everyone's like, oh, dang, you know, like Zachariah got it. Um, and I read in one commentary that there were at least... Um, 20,000, or there were as much as 20,000 priests at this time. So if you can imagine, there were a lot of priests who could potentially take these roles, and this role would never happen to the same priest twice in his lifetime to enter like this sacred spot. So it was like a hugely honored role and rare, rare to get your name pulled. So already this is like, wow, I got chosen. Um, and so when he walks into the, so he walks in from the courts to the altar, or to the, most, to the holy place, um, there's a few furniture items, but the tallest one would have been the altar of incense. And, it's, and, it, and he would go in and he would pour incense right after they lit the sacrifice outside. So they would light an animal sacrifice, which would recommend, represent cleansing the sins, and right as the sins were cleansed, for, it, symbolically, then they would pour perfume on the altar of incense, which would symbolize worship and prayer and intercession. 
So this altar was located closest to the Holy of Holies. It was an act of worship and honor, and that smoke and fragrance would, uh, they would picture it rising up to God, and they would speak prayers uh, as they did that. Right in, uh, in front of the altar of incense is the veil. Now the veil was really thick, and it was thick of a, as a man's hand, and it was 30 feet high. So you can imagine that's really high. So if you're looking up the veil, it's like way looming over you. And then they had large depictions of cherubim, so angels, woven into this veil. And it was thick enough so that if a man fell, he wouldn't fall through and die in the presence of God inside the Holy of Holies. So you can imagine there's a timidity about this. Um, And uh, as you may know, the Holy of Holies behind the veil was where God's presence dwelt. It was the Ark of the Covenant was there, um, full of blessing and power. And then on the Ark of the Covenant was what was called the mercy seat, which was where the manifest presence of God sat. So this is what Zechariah is walking into. And this was the closest Zechariah would ever be to God's spirit, at least he thinks. Um, So Zechariah is standing there, and he goes and he pours uh, this perfume on the coals. And um, as that smoke and fragrance arises, it starts to fill the room with this scent. It was a sweet, it was one mix that was made only for God. No one else could use this mix of spices. Um, And so I want want us to consider really quickly, besides the high priest who would enter one time per year, what do you think the one thing in that room that could reach into the Holy of Holies was? I heard someone say it. The smoke. The smoke and the fragrance was the one thing that could enter into God's presence. So that act of worship and that act of intercession was the one thing that could go through the veil and be, and be met and, and be received into the Holy of Holies presence. So Zechariah was walking into the altar with, with that on his heart, as well as um, probably this feeling of excitement, like this might be the only time in his life. And then he's also probably feeling a little bit of fear This is God we're dealing with. If I trip and fall through that veil, I'm going to die. Um, He's also stepping into an intercessory role for Israel when his heart's prayer for him and his wife has not been answered by God. And theologians think that he would have despaired of praying for this answer long ago. So he probably wasn't still praying for a child when he came to this intercessory role. So... Uh, the disappointment in his relationship with God was there while he was still kind of fulfilling this duty for God. So there's tension. Um, there was also the promises that Israel had been given in the laws of God. So there was two of them that he would have probably memorized. One would have been, there will be no male or female barren among you. And then another one was, there will be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. This is in Exodus and Deuteronomy. These are books they had memorized. He would have prayed these probably between him and Elizabeth. So he's aware that God's promised these things and never fulfilled them for him. So the tension is thick, and he's within feet of the one who could change everything for him. And now he's interceding in worship with sorrow or sadness in his heart. So I want to continue reading this section, and let's be aware of all that's coming into this for Zechariah. So the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the altar of incense, at the hour of incense, and there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. 
And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, which also means the gift of God. And you will have joy and gladness, and, will and many will rejoice at his birth. So you hear that three times, joy, joy, joy. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and able to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I love the angel's response. Carrie and I were talking about that last night, and Danny and I were talking about that this week. It's just so matter of fact. I don't know what it would be like for an angel to say this to you. And you'd be like, wait, how would that work? And the angel just goes like, here's my name. I live with God. Like, I stand in the presence of God. My name is Gabriel. Those are the only facts he gave. That's enough uh, from God's side for Zechariah to believe. But Zechariah's heart, something else is going on. So the joy that Gabriel presents actually unveils inside of Zechariah's heart unbelief and sorrow. Um, this isn't about condemnation. I think a lot of people read Zechariah and go like, oh, he didn't believe God, he didn't have faith. But this is actually about God still blessing Zechariah. He didn't let go of Zechariah's blessing, but it, now it's about Zechariah's heart. That's what God's intent on here. God's purpose to God is purposed to bless Zechariah, but sorrow and unbelief got in the way of Zechariah's full joy. So for us, God wants to, for us to integrate our sorrows and joys, just like we saw with Riley, putting the, the hand of joy and the hand of sorrow together in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel reminds Zechariah when he talks about his son that this son will make a people prepared, which is what Advent is. Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time where we're expecting Jesus is coming and we're celebrating that he came in as a baby, but we're also anticipating that he'll come again. And I think I've always heard preparation as kind of like a, I have to get myself amped up to the right level so if Jesus peeks in on me and catches me, I seem like I'm joyful enough. I'm in that spontaneous joy mode. But I don't think that's what God was talking about, and he's obviously not doing that with Zechariah. With Zechariah, what he's doing is doing a purposeful joy move. He's turning Zechariah and exposing his heart through the gift of full joy, and then when Zechariah goes like, eh, I don't know how to deal with that, 
I don't know what to do when you say, I'm going to give you the gift that you've been praying for for years. There's something, uh, there's something that seems wrong about that to us when we think logically through Scripture, but when we think about the human emotions, it's very right to feel uncomfortable when the, the thing that you've always wanted comes into your life. It's like when I asked Carrie to marry me, and then the next day I was like, what is going on? I don't even know. And that was exposing for me. Um, so that is part of this preparation work that God's doing this Christmas. That's a part of the preparation work that God's doing with us all year. Uh, John's role, that, uh, this gift of God that, that uh, he was receiving, his literal role for Israel was to expose their hearts, was to call them to repentance and do this work of preparation. Why? To make the way for Jesus so they could receive the full joy that Jesus would bring, right? And it's because of John's work that obviously Jesus' ministry is like flourishes. And I just think it's amazing that the gift of God that would come to Zechariah is the same thing that needed to happen in Zechariah's heart. So the work that John was doing for the people of Israel was the work that God was doing inside Zechariah when he gave him John, the gift of God. And I think it's true for us as we receive the gift of God this Christmas through the people we're around, through the blessings he provides. It's going to expose sorrows at different times. We're going to walk into a room and we'll see family and be like, wow, I love family. Wow, I hate family in the same moment. So I, I would love for us to take the instruction of what God's done with Zechariah and enter into it together as a congregation and individually in our time celebrating this Christmas. So what are we preparing for? We are preparing for the full joy of Jesus, day in and day out, and especially as we celebrate this Christmas. And I want us to consider what does it look like for us to integrate joy and sorrow in our hearts? What does it look like for those hands to touch joy and sorrow as we navigate these situations? And then what does it look like for us with God to prepare our hearts to the full joy of Jesus. Let us pray. Jesus, we come to you today without answers of what it looks like to be in full joy. We know we feel the longing for that. We feel it stirred up as we watch the clip from Inside Out. We feel it stirred up, especially as we think of you being prepared the, the way being prepared for you through John, the way being prepared for you in Zechariah, and we hunger to have our hearts prepared and ready, have Advent um, in full flourishing in us. Um, so we do want your help this morning, and we ask that as we come without the full picture of this, that you would give us the grace of your presence, that our prayers would be offered to you afresh again, that they would go through the veil of space and time and touch your heart, that, we would, that discouragement and fear and sorrow would be lifted from us as we do that, and that you would help us as we integrate these things to be ready for you, to be prepared for you, to anticipate you, and to see you. We love that you're here this morning. Would we um, continue to enjoy you as we worship together? In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.